0: You're listening to the Outdoor Photography Podcast, episode 57. Today, we're sitting down with professional landscape and nature photographer, Michael Fry, to talk about connecting deeply with the landscape, using light to create mood, creating unique photographs in iconic locations, and a whole lot more. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Brenda Petrella, the creator of Outdoor Photography School. Join me as I sit down with top landscape and nature photographers and outdoor industry experts to chat about creativity, composition, photography tips and techniques, essential gear, safety in the outdoors, respect for nature, and so much more. Tune in every week to learn how to create compelling and impactful images while exploring and enjoying the natural world. Welcome to the Outdoor Photography Podcast. Hello, my friends, Brenda Petrella here, here to help you create better images and reconnect with nature. Thanks so much for tuning in and sharing a part of your day with me. I wanted to take a quick moment to thank all of you who have left a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or even on the podcast website. Ratings and reviews, especially those on Apple and Spotify, really help to spread the word about the show. And they also help me to get great guests to come on and share their expertise and perspectives with you. So thank you for taking a moment to do that. It means a lot to me, but more importantly, it helps me to continually improve the show for you. So thank you. I'm really excited to introduce you to today's guest, Michael Fry. It was such a pleasure and honor to get the chance to sit down and talk with him about photography and his creative process. Just a quick note, though, the first five minutes or so are a little choppy due to a poor Internet connection we had. And I did my best to repair the audio, but it's not perfect. So just sit tight because it gets much improved after that first few minutes. Okay, so let me give you a little background on Michael before we roll the interview. Michael Fry is a professional landscape and nature photographer who has lived either in or near Yosemite National Park since 1983. His photography is represented by the esteemed Ansel Adams Gallery, and his images have been published in over 30 countries around the world, including the magazines National Wildlife, Outdoor Photographer, American Photo, Sunset, Texas Highways, and more. Michael is also the author or principal photographer of several books and ebooks including Digital Landscape Photography in the Footsteps of Ansel Adams and the Great Masters, The Photographer's Guide to Yosemite, and Landscapes in Lightroom: The Essential Step-by-Step Guide. He also leads numerous photography workshops around the American West and has online courses in Lightroom available on his website at michaelfry.com. And so, without further ado, please enjoy my wide-ranging conversation with Michael Fry. Michael, welcome to the Outdoor Photography Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. I, I know our listeners are really going to enjoy hearing from you. So, thank you for being here.
1: Thanks for having me. It's a great, great pleasure.
0: So, I've already given your brief bio in the introduction,, uh, but I always like to give guests the opportunity to fill our listeners in a little bit on their origin story. So, I was wondering if you could share with us a little bit about how you first found yourself back in the nineteen eighties in Yosemite Valley and how that resulted in you picking up a camera one day.
1: Well, I found myself in Yosemite Valley um partly because I was into rock climbing at the time and that's a great place for rock climbing. And um, I was actually living in the, the Bay Area, the San Francisco Bay Area. I went up to Yosemite frequently to go climbing. The manager at my apartment building knew that I did that, and he told me that he used to work in Yosemite and knew some people. So if I ever wanted to get a job up there, you know, he might be able to connect me with someone. So. Oh, nice. Uh, so I took him up on that one day, finding myself between jobs, as they say. Yeah. And um, got a job in the dining room at the Awani Hotel. And then, oh, let's see, it was the, about nine months after that or so that I met my future wife, Claudia. Nice. And she also worked in the park. And we, uh, we left the park for a brief time, came back. Uh, Both got jobs up in the high country in Tuolumne Meadows. And after that, uh, got jobs at the Ansel Adams Gallery, um, where she knew some people. And somewhere before that, I had kind of made up my mind somewhat naively, I suppose, that I wanted to make my living as a photographer. So being at the Ansel Adams Gallery turned out to be a great place to learn uh i met lots of other wonderful photographers i worked with some other photographers who were really good and you know kind of a little farther along the path than i was and so i learned an awful lot about photography and and um some things about just you know the business of photography even just seeing that oh here are these other people who are actually doing this actually making a living at this was kind of an important thing to to see like oh well maybe if if they can do it maybe I can do it too Um, yeah so anyway um my wife Claudia and I um she worked at the gallery for 25 years I worked there for about six or seven years and then started doing my photography we were raising a son at the time and so forth and I was taking care of him and doing my photography business and And you know things have evolved and and grown from there, but that's kind of uh, how how all that started.
0: And so it sounds like you had an interest in photography prior to working at the Ansel Adams Gallery. Then is that true?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say I was all that serious about it. Um, I mean, maybe started to get serious about it during that summer up in the high country in Tuolumne Meadows that I mentioned. But uh, but I'd kind of dabbled in it a bit. But I'd always well, I should say. you know, kind of ran in the family a little bit. My dad was a very avid amateur photographer at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, both of my brothers were into photography. I had uh, long been interested in various other sort of creative pursuits. Uh, one time I wanted to be a writer, like a novelist. And oh, nice. And another time I wanted to be a, a painter. Um, and for whatever reason, neither of those really stuck. Um, mm-hmm. But... Photography did, you know, eventually at at one point. So that proved to be, I guess, the, the sort of creative outlet that suited me best.
0: Yeah. And what a wonderful environment to be in in those early days of pursuing photography as a potential career. You know, who were some of the people that you were working with at the gallery at that time who you would say influenced you most or inspired you most?
1: Uh well, uh Jeff Nicholas was one, um, uh Jim Wilson another. Um a uh, little bit later, uh, Glenn Crosby, uh, who was a, a curator there for many years. And then as I said I got to meet lots of other wonderful photographers. Um Clinton Smith was was one of those people, um sexton. Um you know, you got to meet to Rowell through the gallery you know, all kinds of, of people. Um they also shot program in those early days that that I could tend. My time off. That's great. And I'm um, about to meet some wonderful photographers there, like, like uh, Ernst Haas, mm-hmm. um, Gary Yulsman, who uh, just, just passed away the other day. Sad to hear. But
0: um, Oh my gosh. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Um,
0: That's yeah, really sad to um, hear.
1: It was, uh, well, just uh, such a wonderful photographer, groundbreaking in, in the kind of injury that he, he did, but also a super nice man and really funny if you got to meet him in person.
0: Yeah, I I'd never had that opportunity, but I have seen him talk and and teach online, you know, diff- different recorded presentations that he had. And yeah, he just seemed like such a wonderful person and warm and kind, uh, besides all of the creativity that he brought and all of his outside of the box type of thinking that he brought to his photography.
1: Yeah, an amazing, amazing man. So sad to see him go um but anyway yeah it was it was such a, a as i said a, a privilege and a, a great education to get to meet people like him during my time in the late 80s at the Hansel Adams gallery
0: yeah absolutely so i noticed on your website that your tagline is the art and craft of landscape photography and so i'm curious what distinction if if any do you make between the art and craft or even the craftsmanship of photography?
1: Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, Well, I think of craft as being um, sort of the skill set that you bring to your photography. So that includes, you know, the technical aspects of photography, like, you know, being able to get the right exposure and, you know, focus depth of field that that kind of uh, field technique, um, uh, processing images. You know the the skill in, in that you might have in using software to process your images. Um, to you know, to some extent, I, there's there's a little bit of a gray area between I would say art and craft when you get into things like light and composition because part of that. Part of that you could say is craft, kind of um, just knowing what works and what doesn't work. But, mm-hmm. um, but the art aspect, the artistic aspect, the creative aspect, the imaginative aspect, um, I would say, you know, it certainly uh, certainly includes uh, awareness of and. Um, awareness of light and composition and in using those things, which are so fundamental to photography, mm-hmm. but, um, but there's something else to it too, that, uh, is hard to quantify or hard, hard to, um, uh, express, I guess, but that, that, um, creative spark where, you, you know, uh, where you have an idea, um, something that you might, think of spontaneously while you're I don't know you know just walking or driving in the car or falling asleep or it could be something that you you think of uh, on on location in the field where you have an idea for for an image and you you go with it but that that uh, sort of um, that imaginative spark that we don't really know exactly where it comes from, but that makes a difference between a a, a well-crafted image, you know, an image mm-hmm. that's um, has good light and it has good composition and it has, you know, it's technically well-executed, but maybe isn't inspiring or it doesn't um, evoke. Uh, an emotional reaction in the viewer, mm-hmm. and then, and then there's, there are those images that that do that that maybe go a step beyond and evoke that kind of a, an emotional reaction in the viewer, and um, it certainly helps to convey that message if that image is also well crafted. But sometimes, sometimes there are images that are able to sort of transcend that, right? So even, even if maybe they're not technically, technically perfect, they're able to uh, convey something that um, touches people. And um, so ultimately, I think that part's probably more important.
0: Yeah. So um, this brings me to something that I was going to ask later on, but in your artist statement on your website, you talk about how you've developed different bodies of work rather than having developed a specific style to your work. Mm. And and you write that despite some obvious differences in style, the subject is always nature. And my main tool is light, mm. that radiant energy, which is something you refer to earlier in your statement. And then you go on to say that light is what allows me to create a mood, whether that mood is lyrical, playful, or mysterious. And I think you know correct me if i'm wrong but i believe what you're referring to here is both the light on the landscape as well as the light from within you mm. that allows you to connect with the scene in some sort of way and so i was wondering if you could talk more about this internal versus external light uh and the and the role that light plays in your compositions to to evoke these types of emotions
1: uh well we're getting pretty deep here talking about that internal light but um but yeah <laughs> that's uh that's def- definitely it's definitely a factor you know um we all bring our own experiences our own unique perspective on the world to everything we do and certainly to our photography and that that has uh a big influence on on our photographs and i think i think that you know the more that you can can tap into that the more that you can sort of understand your own motivations for doing photography you know mm. why are you doing this yeah and that can inform what you want to say sort of in a broader sense mm-hmm. through your photography and those things, you know, that that sort of understanding of why you're doing this and and what it is you want to say, it might not be just one thing, could be a number of things. But in in any case, honing in on that are both really uh, essential aspects of developing your own sort of voice or vision as a photographer, I think. You know, style, the word style, like we talk about a personal style in photography and it's a word that that I have a little bit of trouble with because it impl- implies, excuse me, it implies something sort of superficial, mm-hmm. um, sort of a veneer on top of something, yeah. or you know, a passing, you know, sort of fashion style or something like that. So I am a little bit hesitant to use that word, even though it's commonly used. But I I prefer maybe to think of think of it as um, a photographer's voice or vision, you know, kind of, kind of their, what it is that they want to say and, you know, their, their kind of unique way of doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think to me, it's a little bit more than semantics in that if you think of it in those terms, if you think of it as sort of finding your voice and and what you want to say rather than style, it implies something more fundamental and something kind of more inwardly driven and organic, whereas you know, like people are, are always sort of encouraged to find their their own style, and that can thinking of it in those terms can lead to maybe just doing something different for the sake of being different, yeah, or kind of intellectually approaching, oh, how can I, you know, how can I distinguish myself? What's my style? Rather than focusing in on, again, your motivations and letting that sort of organically lead you to a way of hopefully leading you to be able to express yourself more in your photography and having that Vision or voice kind of evolve organically. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's I kind of got off on a tangent there. No, that's great. uh, In terms of talking about light, so um, so we can we can circle back to to light if you want. But
0: anyway, yeah, yeah, and we can bounce around a little bit. I I think the follow up question I want to ask to that is, you know, you've been teaching workshop students for a long time now, and your your main place is Yosemite, which is an iconic location. So I'm I'm curious that how do you then help your students tap into connecting to a place, especially in an iconic one that they may be visiting for the first time and and helping them to be able to create images that express their unique points of view rather than just trying to get the the shot, you know? How right. do you tamper that and sort of guide them towards finding that voice? That they can express visually well um that's um uh, that's a good
1: question that's you know, that's not an easy thing to do necessarily and and everybody um, everybody's going to have their own uh, well everybody's at a different place in their own journey as far as those things are concerned mm, um, yeah. and there might be someone who who's you know who's on a workshop who um, they, they want to capture those iconic scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, to me, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, um, you know, where they're at at that stage in their journey and maybe they'll, you know, evolve beyond it, maybe not, but as long as they're enjoying it, I think that's fine. Um, and other people, you know, may, may have, um, a more, you know, more of an idea of, like I say, their own kind of unique voice and, and, and how they want to interpret things. Um, you know, I do try to talk about some of the things in, in workshops that we just talked about, about, um, you know, motivations for photography. And, and, and so sometimes we'll, will be like in a classroom setting and just talking about that kind of thing and asking people about, you know, why they're doing this. And, um, and I think, Um, you can, you can ask yourself, you know, why are you doing photography in a general sense? And I think, you know, there are a lot of possible answers to that question. Um, I hope first and foremost, it's because you enjoy doing it. You, you know, it's fun for you in some way or another. I, you know, I find photography to be lots of fun. Mm -hmm. I still enjoy, especially just, you know, being out in the field behind the camera, photographing, There's nothing else I'd rather do, especially when, um, you know, I'm inspired for whatever reason by the subject or the light or, uh, whatever's going on. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's perfectly normal and natural to like to get pats on the back for your images, you know, that, that's part of the motivation for for people, like you know, whether you're talking about friends just saying, "Oh, great photo," or you know, getting likes on social media or whatever. You know, that's like I say, uh, normal and natural and, and kind of part of being human. I think, mm-hmm. but hopefully, there's more to it than that. You know, hopefully, um, you might be able to look and see um, some of your other motivations, you know, maybe, uh, photography gives you a creative outlet, a way to express yourself. And, you know, if so, maybe you can think about what it is that you're trying to express, what it is you'd like to express. And if you're, if you're interested in landscape photography, or nature photography, you know, why, what, what is it about that, that inspires you, makes you want to photograph it? You know, why do you want to photograph nature? What it is, what is it that you want to express about nature? I find it interesting that in this age that we live in, where most people spend, and I include myself in this. Most people spend most of their time indoors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I'm I'm a nature photographer. I do that for a living, but I still spend most <laughs> more time indoors. You know, at my computer doing that kind of stuff than I actually do outside. Yeah. Um, and I think you know most photographers are are in that, that same boat. Um, so you would think that we would tend to want to photograph the things that we're most familiar with, which for a lot of people, you know, living in urban environments or suburban environments and you know, working in an office and things like that, nature isn't something maybe that they're that familiar with, but they still want to photograph it. You know, the mm-hmm. landscape photography and nature photography are so popular. So, you know, why is that? I find that kind of an interesting question. Why is it that so many people want to photograph those things and i mean I, I think you know part of the answer has to be maybe that there's even though in our day-to-day lives we are indoors a lot of the time that there's this desire to connect with nature kind of a, you know maybe innate instinctive desire and in photography helps us do that yeah but, um, but anyway everybody can can try to answer that question for themselves
0: Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I think thinking about that, what is your motivation behind creating this photograph or even doing photography to begin with, you know, versus another creative outlet or simply enjoying nature for itself and and remaining in the moment and savoring the memory of it later? Mm. Um, If you are driven to create a photograph, what is inspiring that? Is it... Yeah. That connection, is it that sense of awe, is it um a story that you're trying to relay or something like that, you know, and it could be a whole lot of different things I suppose.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, that gets down to or, or how you approach things in the field if you're um and I often tell people in, you know, basically I think one of the simplest ways to think about is just to to think about, you know, if something catches your eye and you say, oh, you know, I'd like to photograph that to, to just delve a little bit deeper, especially if you are having trouble finding the composition that, you know, a composition that works or something like that, Mm -hmm. to delve a little bit deeper and, and, and get, get a little bit more specific. Like, Oh, you know, that looks interesting. Well, okay, why? You know, what is it about that that caught your eye? You know, is it the light? Is it the shape? Is it the color? Is it um, something about a juxtaposition between something and something else? So, so even just those sort of specific visual things. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, if you can ask yourself, what is the story that I want to tell in this photo? Or maybe... I I I tend to think more in term in terms of uh mood and emotion and you know, what what feeling do I want this image to convey? And I mean I it's not that I'm out there all the time slowly, you know, just sitting there contemplating such thoughts. A lot of times I'm moving more quickly and reacting and it's almost instinctive. Yeah. Um, but I think that's that's a result of experience where I've been doing this a long time and and I can kind of almost instinctively sometimes hone in on you know a particular scene or subject at a certain moment and and realize that there's a potential there for that um scene to convey some kind of a mood or feeling and and then I just have to to figure out how to do that right um but i'm you know i'm not I'm not necessarily analyzing it, but if you have the time and you're like I say, maybe struggling a little bit with figuring out how to photograph something that that caught your attention, it might be worth taking a moment to think about some of those things.
0: Yeah, you wrote in one of your blog posts, uh, you referred to a Louis Pasteur quote, which was, in fields of observation, chance favors only the prepared mind. Yeah. And I love that. And you, and you wrote that photography is nothing if not a field of observation. And I couldn't agree more. In mm. fact, I wrote an article for Nature Photographers Network recently, and I talk about observation in that a little bit. And it sounds like that is what you're talking about, about going into the landscape with being, having your senses open to observe things. And then from that, ask these questions of, okay, well, what am I seeing? What am I feeling? What am I being attracted to?
1: Yeah. Uh well first of all, I, I wanna since you brought that up, I wanna add that um Ansel Adams is often quoted as saying something similar to that, something like, you know, chance favors the prepared mind or something, but but he was he was basically paraphrasing Louis Pasteur. So Oh interesting. Um, yeah. Anyway, but but it is, you know, it's kind of one of those those quotes that you sometimes see in photography circles from from Ansel Adams. Right. Um but yeah, you know, observation, yeah, that's that's a huge part of photography, right? I mean, yeah. uh you could you could argue that that that's uh, one of the most essential aspects of it. And I think, you know, what you mentioned is is really true, you know, just being open to to what's out there in front of you. And so often when we go out into the field with our cameras, we're you know, preoccupied with something, um, you know, thinking about, I don't know, her jobs or, you know, uh, bills to pay or who knows what else, or or maybe not that, but we, we might have like a specific goal in mind, something mm-hmm. that we want to photograph. And that kind of puts uh, – blinders on us mm-hmm. to other things that might be equally interesting or more interesting. You know, I mean, I think it's perfectly fine to have those kinds of goals to, you know, if you if you didn't have at least a vague, rudimentary plan, you wouldn't go anywhere, right? You know, at the very least, you have to say, well, I think I'll go wander along this creek and see what there is to see. You know, I mean, that's not much of a plan, but it's a plan, right? Right. Um, but sometimes I think a lot of times people have a you know much more specific plans or goals about a specific shot that they want to get, and and that you know that's totally fine, right? Um, like I say, we all have to make plans. But sometimes, especially when those plans don't work out, you know, the weather doesn't cooperate or whatever. I think it's really helpful to be open to what else there is. What other possibilities might be around you. And mm-hmm. and the more you can let go of those expectations and preconceived ideas and just look, the more possibilities you're going to find.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think with observation comes awareness and that can, you know, make you more attuned to your surroundings. Almost like like when you're driving to work every day, like you were saying, you have all these things on your mind, your your brain isn't observing necessarily all of the places that you're driving and the lefts and rights and the stop signs. And but you still get to work somehow. Right. And so you're like on <laughs> autopilot right. versus, yeah. you know, being aware of every little thing. And so when we allow ourselves to get off of autopilot, all of a sudden, like a whole new world of possibilities can open up, you know.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Sometimes what I'll do is, you know, if it's, if it's not a a day where I I don't have a plan, I just want to be out and, you know, see what I see. And if it seems like it's just not going to be very fruitful, sometimes I'll find myself being sort of frustrated and being like, oh, this has been a waste or something like that. But then I'll think, well, if nothing else, I mean, I'm spending time in nature. That's like my number one goal (laughs) is to be able to do that. Right. Yeah. And and if nothing else, it's like I'm training my body to carry my camera bag long distances. <laughs> you know? And, you know, that, that's like the one positive I can come out of with it with it. And um, but then it's like, you know, usually if I can get back to that less negative frame of mind, then my mind is more open to the possibilities again. And so it's it's so interesting to me how how much control our minds have over finding compositions and and connecting with the landscape.
1: Yeah. I think that's so true. Um, it's, you know, that, that happens to me as well, where, where I might be out with my camera and I'm I'm just not seeing anything, as you say, you know, it can be a little bit frustrating at times. And, and it's amazing somehow, sometimes you can, you can sort of flip a switch by changing your mindset by going, you know, okay, I'm not finding anything, that's fine. Like you say, I'm out here, I'm enjoying nature. And if I don't come home with a great photo, you know, that's okay. It's not like the first time that's happened, right? Everybody right. has that experience if you're a photographer, right? Um, and and somehow, you know, when you let go of that, like that expectation, and sometimes it's maybe not a specific photo, but just this, you know, this kind of anxiousness-like oh, I've, you know, I've only got this limited time to be out photographing on my weekend or whatever. And, and you put this pressure on yourself to go out and, and get some photos. And, and sometimes it, just, just letting go of that pressure and that expectation. And, and it, you know, it's, it seems a little paradoxical, but, but when you do that, suddenly you start seeing things, you know, yeah. it's, it's like you've removed this mental block.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, let's shift gears a little bit and, and return to light, talking about light. There's a, a quote from Jay Mizell in his book, Light, Gesture, and Color that I just love, and I'll read it quickly for the listeners. He writes that one of the first things in Genesis is, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And ever since then, photographers have been complaining about bad light. And it just cracks me up. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious. Uh, yeah. what, what is your opinion about good light, bad light? Is there such a thing? And how do we approach mm-hmm. using light? You know, you, you were talking about mood and creating uh, a sense of feeling or telling a story, evoking emotion. I, I'm curious about how you're using light to do that.
1: Well, first of all, um, I think light is really important. I mean, that's that's our medium, right? I mean, we are recording light. That's that's what we do as photographers. Yeah. And um, and I think that light is something that maybe doesn't get talked about enough um, compared to, say, composition or you know, image processing and things like that. Um, but it's but it's so essential. And I think one of, the, one of the things that can be really helpful for improving your photography is to really become a student of light and to, to watch light and to try to learn all the nuances of it. And, you know, there are, there are some basic fundamental things like, you know, soft light, for example, just shade or overcast is great for photographing. Uh, colorful subjects like maybe flowers or fall leaves, mm-hmm. maybe not so great for, you know, a big landscape scene. Side light's great for bringing out texture and form. Backlight for translucent objects uh, or maybe silhouettes and so forth. But there's so many other other sort of subtle qualities of light that you, know, you can learn to recognize and learn to maybe even anticipate in, in your photography. And that can help you tell the story that you want to tell in a particular photograph or, um, you know, convey that mood, convey that feeling, whatever it might be. You know, as, as we're talking about, you don't necessarily need that spectacular light to be able to, to do that, to tell tell a compelling story or, convey a mood mm-hmm. and um you know for example like one of my one of my favorite kinds of light is a variation of soft light where that soft light has some direction to it um you know sometimes if you're out in the open and it's say an overcast day that soft light is is mostly coming from above which isn't that interesting but a lot of times, it does have a more distinct sort of sideways direction. Like the, even though there's no direct sunlight on the scene or subject you're photographing, there's more light coming from the right or the left, or from behind or in front, mm-hmm. and and you can use that. You know, I think especially like soft side light can be really beautiful for a kind of. Um, giving you a little bit of the best of both worlds, right? So, so uh, if you have sunlight raking across the scene from right to left, that'll bring out the texture of the objects can bring out form sort of the create almost a three dimensional feel by, by, um, having light on, say, one side of a tree trunk and shadow on the other side, you get a sense of of sort of the roundness of that tree trunk or, you know, the roundness of a rock or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Um, But that kind of um, hard side light with sunlight can sometimes be too harsh for certain subjects, you know, like, say, flowers maybe. But, But soft side light, like I say, can give you the best of both worlds where... You have that direction to the light where it brings out the form and texture of the subject that you're photographing, mm-hmm. but it's not too harsh. Um, it can be a, a great kind of light in combination with color, right? So you have that quality of the soft light where, where it helps to bring out colors and, and color contrast, but also some direction to it. So you see some form and texture,
0: Right, yeah I think that a key point that I think it can get overlooked, and that is form and texture but but form, in that it mm. you know how soft side light especially can add um shape to things that when it's under harsh lighting conditions, you know if there's mm. too much contrast with the shadow areas that that shape changes it's less three d feeling almost it adds more like angles to mm. it than soft mm. soft curves that make it look more. Like a shape, so I think it's interesting to to practice seeing that when when the light isn't obvious, trying to ask you know what is the light doing <laughs> you know mm-hmm. uh, an interesting exercise yeah, to do yeah well, with soft light, you know definitely
1: you want to be paying attention to the direction of it you know is there is there a direction to it um and and I like what you said about, yeah, I think that soft side light helps to bring out that form better than hard side light and can give the image this sort of subtle three-dimensional aspect, you know, a a sense of depth without the, you know, those kind of obvious depth cues, like, you know, a super wide-angle lens with a close foreground, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Speaking of wide-angle lenses, uh, just shifting gears a little bit, I I noticed in your work that you use both wide-angle and telephoto lenses to compose both grand landscapes and your intimate landscapes. And so, I'm curious about how how you think about simplifying a scene, you know, maybe with a telephoto versus including enough complexity, say, with a wide angle to tell a story. Uh, you know, how are you approaching striking that balance between uh, simplicity and complexity? Mm.
1: Um, you know, I think that's a really interesting question because. Um, I actually wrote a blog post about this a long time ago where I talk about a photograph, a very famous photograph by Sam Abel of cowboys castrating calves and and uh, it's quite a complex photo. But anyway, I, I, I used it to, to kind of talk about that question of simplicity versus complexity. And I tend to stress when I'm you know, teaching a workshop or writing about composition or something, I tend to stress simplicity because I think that that that's probably the most common mistake that I see mm-hmm. in photography in general is just including too much in compositions and, and therefore the essentials, the, the most essential aspects of the composition of the scene or the story that that photographer is trying to tell um kind of get lost in the confusion and, and all the uh, extraneous stuff that that doesn't need to be there right on the other hand i do think a photograph could can be too simple sometimes you know um there there is this balance as you as you mentioned where where i mean i like complex interesting photos photos that have a lot to look at as long as they're not too busy and confusing, yeah uh sort of visually confusing so so there's that that balance that you try to strike, like I say, I stress simplicity because I think that that it's more common to err on the side of you know being 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 too complicated and trying to include too many things and and that the the message of you know trying to simplify things, trying to s- distill things down to their essentials is. Uh, a valuable one for most people. Yeah, and and it's something I I strive to do most of the time is to keep things simple because I think that's more often the challenge that we face in in composition is how to take this sort of messy, cluttered world that we live in and make a composition that seems coherent and cohesive and and its message is clear. Um, so, so that often involves, you know, just, just sort of simplifying things and distilling things down to their essentials and trying to get rid of anything extraneous. Right. Um, but having said that, like I say, you know, I do like those, those compositions. I do like those photos where, um, where there is a lot of complexity as long as the image doesn't cross that line into being too busy or confusing. And, um. You know, and that's that's one of those subjective things.
0: Yeah. There's a fine line, it seems, between complexity and distractions. And, mm. and I suppose once you've gotten to a place in your, not you, but, you know, a photographer's journey in learning composition and, and artistic expression and, you know, using the tool of simplification to really hone in on what the essence of their image is about. And then starting to add in layers of complexity, deliberately, sort of like deliberate complexity rather than chaotic mm-hmm. distraction, <laughs> you know, um, right? To make sure that the the complexity that's in the photograph is there for a purpose. It's purposeful, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, and that and that could be really hard in landscape and nature photography because everything is already chaotic to begin with, as you as you mentioned.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think you know, one simple tip that I could offer uh about that is that if you're trying to if you're trying to photograph a complex scene and you know and want some of that nice rich complexity, but you don't want the image to be too uh busy, confusing, cluttered, is that it needs to have some kind of visual focal point, some particular spot that the viewers' eye can latch on to if you have that it's amazing how just having that sort of anchor that visual anchor can allow you to include other stuff that might be actually quite complex um, but the image um, will still read well mm-hmm. right it, it's it, the viewers eye will hopefully latch onto that that visual focal point that one spot that sort of stands out and and at least they have that it's like a you know kind of an entry into the scene a visual entry and can latch onto that and then their eyes can roam around the the rest of the scene and absorb all that other complex and hopefully interesting stuff you know it does have to mesh together right you know it, right. it, it all has to to sort of uh, fit together and flow together and And we're definitely not talking about just, you know, adding, adding junk for the sake of complexity, but, um, but anyway.
0: Yeah, I think it was in one of your maybe outdoor photographer articles, or maybe it was on your blog. I can't remember. You had proposed the idea of saying, you know, what is the least important part of this photograph and eliminate that? And then... Mm ask that question again. Now, what is the least important part? And can I eliminate that down to the point where you're like, okay, everything that's in the frame needs to be in the frame to tell the story I want to tell kind of thing. And I think I struggle with this in my own photography is figuring out, because I think my my default is to simplify, but then how how can I start to layer in these more complexities so that the photograph is more compelling in, in the sense that even if there's this central concept that the eye wants to flow around it, but not flow to something that really is sort of ancillary to the whole idea. Right. You know, is it, is it still considered the least important part of the photograph or is it contributing positively in some way? And I think that's a, it's a really, it's a hard thing to accomplish.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it, uh, it can be, you know, and I don't think you want to overanalyze things to death necessarily in the field. Um, Oftentimes, I think oftentimes it's sort of more productive to, you know, to to analyze those kinds of things when you're looking at photos uh, on your computer or something. And, you know, whether it's your own photos or other people's and you can, you can ask yourself, you know, why something works or why something doesn't work. And, 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 you know, that could be one of those questions is like, maybe I look at a photo again, whether it's mine or someone else's, and I think it's not quite working for some reason. And, and maybe what it is, is that there is some excess space that's not really contributing to the image. And that's what I was talking about in that article you mentioned where, you know, what's, what's the least interesting part of this picture? And is there a way that I can eliminate that? And if I, if I can do that, then that's going to strengthen the image. Mm-hmm. You know, I think every part of the frame ideally should be contributing to the photo's message and mood. So, um, but again, I think sometimes it's, it's you know, more helpful to analyze those things in photos uh, that you're looking at at home. And, and so, so that those lessons about, you know, kind of what works and what doesn't and you know, what's essential to include and what isn't become sort of more ingrained and and more intuitive that way, Mm -hmm. uh, rather than sort of overanalyzing in the field. And, and hopefully, you know, I think when you're in the field, I think it's, it's, um, it's tough to, to try to carry around too many thoughts in your head and and analyze things. You, you you know, ideally I think want to be more sort of right-brained about it, more intuitive and, and instinctive and, and, like I said, try to find other ways to to get those concepts ingrained in your brain, so that that you recognize those things in the field more instinctively and intuitively.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, otherwise, you could could lead to analysis paralysis when you're trying to make a photograph. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah. in in your opinion, what what does make a great photograph? You know, I, I feel like different people have different opinions on this. Some mm-hmm. people think it's the light. It's the story it's movement uh it's a combination of things and and earlier in our conversation you were talking about we could have a perfectly crafted composition that still might not work uh so what is that element there that missing element that would make mm. a a, a well composed photograph into a great photograph mm.
1: well Boy, um, if I can answer that simply, um, that that would be something, you know, I could, I could probably market that somehow. Right. Um, You know, Here's uh, your platform. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Here are these, these three simple steps to making great photos every time. Right. Um, Yeah. um, I I don't know. Um, There's, you know it obviously the, those sorts of things are are kind of hard to hard to quantify you know uh, a great photo needs to have a whole bunch of things kind of go right to to make it work to to make that happen you know for me personally and and of course everybody has different ideas right about you know we can have different opinions about photos there are photos that that uh you know are sort of universally acclaimed but not everybody likes them right mm, you know right. and then uh, there are other photos that might be more obscure but but you know i don't know i might like it or you might like it for for whatever reason anyway the to me one of the the my criteria uh when i'm looking at photos i guess is you know does it affect me at at sort of an emotional level mm. i mean i can enjoy uh A photo that's you know well composed and and has great light or color or an interesting design, Um, and I can enjoy that sort of on that level of just maybe being beautiful or maybe a visual surprise, Mm -hmm. right? It shows me something, a part of the world in a way that I haven't seen it before, and I go, oh, look at that, that's cool. Yeah. But for me, the photos that, that I like the best are the ones that, as I said, affect me on an emotional level where they convey some kind of a mood or, or feeling to me. And so that's you know, that's what I strive to do in my own work as well. You know, I again I I enjoy making all kinds of photos. Um, and I enjoy you know, making if I possibly can those photos that I just described, which might you know, be pretty or you know maybe be a bit of a visual surprise. But uh, if I can make an image that might convey a mood or a feeling, you know, something about how I feel about nature or the landscape or a particular place at a particular time, that's that's even better mm-hmm, that's what I would most like to do. It's not an easy thing to do yeah to to do that really involves every aspect of the art of photography, you know the light composition the the technical skills you know to be able to get execute the photo, get the exposure right, and get it in focus and all that kind of thing um but it's also you know a certain something else that's very hard to define that that kind of creative uh, instinctive almost um uh, aspect of things where you're you're um you know if if you're lucky enough to be able to do this and put it together to to um to elevate something beyond. Like we talked about at the beginning, beyond a well-crafted photo, into something more meaningful.
0: Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that is why many of us have our favorite photographs that that we consider our best, but others don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, people who who may buy mm. prints or or like our photos on social media, you know, it's always so interesting to me where I'm like, this is a photo that I love, and you know, it doesn't get us a second look. And then there are ones where I'm like, meh, this is a, you know, photo I created that's fine. And people like it. And it's it's just always such a surprise to me, that distinction, that dichotomy. And I wonder if it is that element that you're talking about, that that internal emotional response that we have to a photograph, you know, is a deeply personal thing. And so whether it's your own photograph or someone else's photograph that's moving you, it's, it's resonating in some way that's getting that response. And, and yeah, I I totally agree. I I hadn't really thought of it that way before that the response that you get is what would make a great photograph. I think that it's a combination of any sorts of things of light color, texture, whatever, but so long as it's eliciting that response in somebody, they would consider that to be a a really great photograph, I would think.
1: Yeah, I I think so. Um, I mentioned at the very beginning. Clinton Smith, who is a photographer, uh, I think he lives in the Mendocino coast in California now, but, but, uh, um, we represented his work at the Ansel Adams gallery in those early days when I worked there. Um, and he did some beautiful color work. And he told me once that we don't get to pick our own best photos the world does that, you know, we, we can choose what we put out to the world, but beyond that, it's sort of out of our control. Mm. And, um, and I, you know, I still remember that because I think there's, there's some truth to that. Yeah. Yeah. We can, we can keep pushing it out there and going, what, don't you like this one? Really? (laughs) And and people just keep saying, no, collect collective yawn, you know? Um, yeah. And, uh, and and there's no you know we just don't have any control over that, and 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 certainly I can see where a, a photographer can have an emotional response to one of their own images that somebody else isn't going to have because it, it maybe evokes the a particular memory of you know being in a certain place at a certain time and and so you know it evokes that memory for you as the photographer because you were there but maybe somehow the image doesn't convey that or communicate that to other people who weren't there. Right. So, um, yeah, that's just one of those things. And, and that's, that's totally fine. You know, you can still love the photo and you can put it on your wall and you can still enjoy it. And, you know, hopefully, you know, it's it, like, it's nice to get people to like your photos. Um, it's nice if people enjoy them, uh, et cetera but ultimately we're all doing this for ourselves first and foremost and making images that we like. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, and if other people like them too, and they communicate something to someone else, that's great. It's, uh, it, yeah, that, that is a, a, a bit of a, a dilemma that we all run into. Mm-hmm. Right. So we want, we want our photos to communicate things to other people too, but we also want to be true to ourselves and what we like. Right. And, and sometimes. I think, I think that that's an ongoing process with every photographer where you, you know, you sort of learn what other people react to and what they like. But on the other hand, you don't want to be totally driven by that, where you kind of lose yourself and lose what, you know, what you really like and what you really want to say. And ideally you find kind of a happy medium where, where you find an overlap, where or you can make images that are true to yourself and say what you want to say, but that other people also get it to other people. Also, it communicates something to other people as well. And they sort of understand it. And photography is communication. It's a form of communication. And that's part of, of trying to learn to be a better communicator as a photographer is sort of understanding the audience and and how it is that you might be able to say things that resonate with other people. Mm-hmm. but um, like I said, not, not lose yourself in the process and still making, you know, be making images for yourself. And I also think it's totally okay to make images that are just for yourself that, you know, that nobody else likes that maybe even when you take the photo that, you know, nobody else is going to like it, (laughs) but you like it and you should still take it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I used to early on when I was, you know, just getting into sharing my photography, I had a hard time getting it out of my head when I was out doing photography, you know, having that filter in my mind of like, well, this would do well on Instagram mm-hmm. or, you know, I want to have this to be something that is just for me or mm-hmm. something that I would enjoy or push my creativity and go outside my comfort zone and create something that I wouldn't normally share or something like that. And it it took me a while to sort of get that voice out of my head and just be creating images for myself and not be thinking about that. Mm. Um, and it's hard, I think, in this world that we live in, there is so much expectation out there to share your work and have it be epic, you know, <laughs> and things like that. And uh, yeah, and it's hard to, you know, make sure you're staying true to yourself in in that whole process. So yeah, totally agree.
1: Absolutely, what you just talked about is is so true that it's. It, I think it's it's kind of uh, really. Uh, Deadly to creativity to be thinking about those things when you go out with the camera. To be thinking about are other people going to like this photo, or if you do this for a living, is it going to sell? Yeah. And you know, I, I I I think you're going to be doing your best, most creative work if you can put those thoughts out of your mind and make photos that you like to make, that you're inspired to make. And maybe that, that, that other part that, you know, finding that sort of common ground where you can make photos that also communicate something to other people and, you know, ideally even evoke an emotional response in other people. Maybe, you know, maybe that's best left to sort of the editing process to mm. you know, looking through the photos later and figuring out which ones other, other people might respond to and which ones are, you know, kind of, Just for you.
0: Yeah, I like that. So, so that when you're in the actual creative zone, you're not weeding things out unintentionally, but you can do that later more intentionally in the editing process. Right. Well, before we wrap things up, are you up for doing a lightning round? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Sure. All right. First thing that comes to mind. What is your favorite subject to photograph? Nature. (laughs) Excellent. Fog or stormy clouds.
1: Ooh. Uh fog. Nice. I love fog. Fog is just my favorite thing.
0: If you could only photograph one environment or a location other than Yosemite, what would it be?
1: Hmm. Oh boy, that's a tough one. Um Yeah, there there are so many other places. I guess all right, it says lightning. Uh Redwoods. <laughs>
0: The Redwoods. Nice. Yeah. Oh, I love your Redwood photography. Redwoods. I love the Redwoods. Yeah. Oh, thanks. What is the most difficult part about being a full-time photographer?
1: Hmm. Uh, well, making money. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know, ba- balancing that, I guess you would say. Ba- balancing the desire to just be out taking pictures with the, the reality of actually having to somehow turn that into... Uh, making a living, so
0: yeah, yeah, very true. Uh, what is something that people would be surprised to learn about you? Oh, gosh, um, uh,
1: I like watching sports, doesn't oh, wow. seem to fit with a nature photographer, right? But you know.
0: yeah, what any particular sport? Oh, um,
1: all kinds of different sports, you know. I mean, I, I follow some of the you know, for me, more local teams like the, the Golden State Warriors and the San Francisco 49ers and so forth. I like watching tennis for some reason.
0: Nice. Okay, well, final question. What does connecting with nature mean to you? Hmm. It means really
1: being out in it. Being out in nature in all kinds of conditions, all kinds of different places, different times, day and night. Sleeping on the ground. Mm. Um, my wife Claudia and I were in Death Valley not long ago for about two and a half weeks or so, maybe three weeks, and uh, um, part of that time doing a workshop. But um, we spent a lot of time in sand dunes and sandy areas. And, and by the time we came home, the the car, like every the car and everything in the car was completely coated with a layer of sand. It was wow. just one of those things that was, that was sort of inevitable. And, and I told Claudia that we had, we had become sand people somehow. (laughs) Um, but, but I, but I liked that in a way, you know, we, we really had, had, (laughs) we were literally connected with nature in the form of sand and dirt. Um, And, um, I don't. I don't think there's any any substitute for just those those sorts of authentic experiences where where you're really out in it and experiencing it in, in all kinds of different conditions.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's beautiful. I love that. I love that the tactical sort of feeling that you're expressing there, being in it and feeling it and experiencing it. Yeah. Well, Michael, this has been such a pleasure. I'm so glad that we got to connect and have this conversation, and I, I just so appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today. If people wanted to learn more about your photography and your workshops, and um, you have a bunch of eBooks and tutorial videos and things like that, where would be the best way for them to find you? Well, my website, MichaelFry.com. Um,
1: You you can find everything there, um, links to my online courses, uh, workshops and so forth. And uh, and I I post pretty regularly on my blog. um, So you'll find a a lot of stuff on there. And I just want to say, too, that I've really enjoyed this as well. It's been fun having this conversation with you. And uh, you've asked some really interesting questions. So thank you.
0: Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Alright, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Michael. And again, you can find out more about his photography, workshops, books and tutorials on his website at michaelfry.com. Again, thank you, Michael, for coming on the show. And thank you, dear listener for tuning in. I appreciate you and I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. If you want to get the links and other information mentioned today, you can find the show notes at outdoorphotographypodcast.com slash 57. And while you're there, if you have a question you'd like me to answer on the podcast or a topic to suggest, you can record your message or contact me directly on the website. We have several exciting guests coming up on the podcast, including full-time landscape and nature photographer, John Putnam, who will be joining me on the podcast in a couple of weeks. So be sure to follow the show on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss out on this or any of our upcoming episodes. And I'll be back here next week with a Tidbit Tuesday where I'll share a practical photography tip or two and or answer your submitted questions. So until then, get outside, my friends and find yourself a little nature. Take care.